Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are fears about the end of the world justified? What does end of the world actually mean? Is it possible to cut through the religious baggage and get to what's behind it all? Hey there, and welcome to the 341st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm uh, Paul, and those questions came from my son, co-host, and partner in the paranormal, Ben. Thank you for the very, very, very sweet introduction. Yes, uh, the one and only Ben. To be perfectly frank, uh, folks, we usually try to avoid the subject we're going to look at this evening, because it's kind of like a runaway train dragging along with it a whole freight car's load I don't know, of, of misinformation, wild speculation, hysteria, political and even racial agendas, bargain basement science, and most of all, in my opinion, junk theology, not to mention a lot of flaky people. However, our guest comes very highly recommended and has a distinguished reputation, and I do think we do need to uh, talk about this subject. So we'll plunge right into it in just a minute. But first, you guessed it, it's time for our weekly paranormal contest. And last week's question was, where in Canada would you find a haunted trolley uh, car inside a restaurant? Well, apparently it's in the old Spaghetti Factory restaurant in Vancouver, B.C. Uh, supposedly some uh, old conductor or motorman has haunted this streetcar since it was retired in the 1950s. It was restored and now forms the centerpiece of this restaurant. You can even sit in it to have your meal. Now, the real trouble, a number of people tried, but nobody got the correct answer to the question. Oh, well, so let's try something else this week. And this week's question is, what part of Australia has more reported UFO sightings than any other part of that country? I'd be the first to get that right and win a copy of The Warning by tonight's guest. So call us locally, and this goes for the question or for the guest. Call us locally or from anywhere at 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the U.S. at 800-449-1240. If nobody has, uh, well, if nobody answers during the show, that's the question Ben just asked, and you'd still like to give it a shot, drop us an email during the week at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, now to our guest. Paul McGuire is host of the syndicated McGuire Report, which can be seen on YouTube. He uh, on, he hosted the nationally syndicated Paul McGuire Show for 10 years, which broadcast from KBRTAM in Los Angeles. Paul is a frequent guest on the Fox News Network and CNN. He is the author of 16 books, including The Day the Dollar Died, which deals with the, quote, planned destruction of the dollar in order to bring in a world currency, unquote. Paul is the producer of two science fiction films and has written columns for WorldNet Daily and Newsmax. He is also a professor at the King's College and Seminary, where he teaches a, a course entitled Israel and Armageddon, unquote. Recently, the History Channel did a special with Paul entitled Seven Signs of the Apocalypse. He lectures wi- to widely, I should say, to capacity crowds, wherever he goes. And Paul's spiritual odyssey has taken him through psychedelic drugs, Buddhism, Hinduism, and much more, finally leading him to Western evangelical Christianity. So, Paul McGuire, Paul McGuire, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Paul and Ben, it's, uh, gr- it's great to be on. And when you were doing your uh, introduction about the runaway train, I couldn't help but think of that Ozzy Osbourne song. Uh, Crazy Train. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Black Sabbath. Irony. Well, look at me, Ben's a musical guy. So anyway, yeah, yeah Ozzy, Ozzy's a miracle. 
his 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 continued existence is a miracle in and of itself. I agree with you. All right, so um, let's uh let's dive right into this here. So you are a spokesman in a very large arena uh, that includes uh, just about every issue in people's minds today. Uh, but we have uh, less than an hour, so we'd like to narrow it down to at least one topic. So we feel it is very important. Uh, it is cosmic warfare. So how did you define cosmic warfare, and how does it affect us all? Well, like um, I believe it was Paul that was giving the introduction earlier about the the, the topics and how this can be such a uh, helter skelter topic, and it, you know you could end up in uh, the twilight zone, especially if you're doing research on the internet. And UFOs was not something, and aliens was not something that that I even remotely had any desire whatsoever to get into. It was just something. That was amusing to me, you know, and I would go see movies, etc. But uh, after years of research into uh, other dimensions, parallel universes, for example, you know, like a lot of the smart people, probably like yourselves um, and your audience, you know, they went out and got college degrees in accounting, accounting and marketing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But my uh, actual major at the University of Missouri. Uh, was the brand-new uh, college-accredited field within the Department of Psychology called Altered States of Consciousness and also Filmmaking. So that was my dual major, Altered States of Consciousness and Filmmaking, which was my uh, <clears throat> study, and it was also my habit. And uh, I began to realize there were alternative realities and there were beings that inhabited these alternate realities. And so it was from there that I got into the uh, topic of ETs, most specifically as I began doing heavy-duty research into the occult origins of Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich and the Thule Society and his alleged relationship or the Nazi Party relationship with UFOs and things like that. That was the springboard that got me interested in ETs. Okay. All right. Uh, Do we have a do we have a caller? No, it was just someone answering the question. Oh, someone answering the question. Okay, good. But it was All incorrect, right. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah we, we need a bigger staff here. Anyway, Paul, sorry. Um, yeah, I think that uh, everything you've said it sort of echoes, I suppose, my journey over, I guess, 40 years of spiritual odyssey and, and work in the paranormal and uh, leading to the idea of multiple universes and, and all this business. But, of course, what, the question is, what does it mean? What does it mean for our understanding of God, of, of reality, of all these different things? And uh, I spent many years in the seminary, and, of course, nobody wanted to talk about a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the issue of cosmic warfare comes up. Um, I, I think you might, maybe we're on the same page with this. We very often would start to invest, we meaning Ben and myself, or before Ben, sometimes uh, fellow students of, of mine, or, or rather who were in the seminary with me, or later on, you know, myself after I became a journalist or whatever, would investigate cases and they would seem to be quote unquote ghosts. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I say quote unquote because, you know, not, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be, and, and I, I quickly learned uh, that at least in my opinion, the, the old-time spiritualist approach to this just doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't adequately explain anything, really, and it goes nowhere. But we would somehow end up, um, in many cases, with what appeared to be UFOs and, and quote-unquote aliens. Uh, 
and people think there's no connection between ghosts and, and the UFO realm, but uh, there seems to be a lot going on there. And uh, the the question is, who or what are these? They very often would seem parallel to what in folklore would be called demons, and they uh, we were into, we, well, we refer to them as parasites because that seems to be what they do, and uh, just there seem to be an awful lot of crossovers depending on the context. In other words, as I always say, if you're in your living room and something goes floating by and waves to you, aha, a ghost. But if the same thing happens in your yard and there's a silver disc hanging overhead, you know, aha, an alien, you know, that that sort of thing. Names are fleeting, so to speak. Yeah, the, the words aren't good enough. The names aren't, uh, don't really do it. So we we seem to be detecting a lot of, if you want to say, I don't know, uh, tension, cosmic warfare or whatever you want to do between certain elements within this multiverse, if you want to call it, uh, a lot of which does seem to correspond to what is enshrined in the folklore of many different... Or the, I, I, and by folklore, I don't mean it's not true. I mean, it's, it's just a way of, of, of uh, summing up the memory of it in various religions and traditions and tribal histories and this sort of thing. So, I mean, wh- what, does, what say you about all this? I mean, do you think I'm on the right track here or, or what? I'm well, saying yeah, we, yeah. we have enemies out there and we have friends. Well, I think yeah, we have to be too. I mean, I mean, whenever you're in, in the public light, like you guys are and I am, you have you have enemies and friends. But uh, having having said that, no, I, I I would agree with you. I was doing research uh, yesterday because I'm working on a, a new DVD project called Moon into Blood, uh, which deals with transhumanism and ETs and fallen angels and the Nephilim and and that whole stuff. And then, um, you know, you simply look at the uh, pyramids and you realize that these pyramid structures are some, are some kind of scientific, they're some kind of technology. They're just not pyramid-shaped buildings. And then the other question is, who built them? Because obviously human beings, in my opinion, could never have possibly built those structures uh, by themselves. So I think it, it says without question, whether we're talking about pyramids or some of the other uh, archaeological uh, findings, that there had to be some kind of extraterrestrial uh, or from another dimension, some kind of higher intelligence, some kind of visitors from another dimension or another world that gave the human race or the pharaohs or whatever the technology to build those pyramids because I don't think humanity uh, it could, couldn't have done it today. I mean, you couldn't have built the pyramids today with today's technology. Mm. So there had to be some kind of divine uh, interaction or connection between something beyond homo sapiens or human beings. Well, you know, I respect that. But on the other hand, I mean, I think that uh, if you look at the entire social and technological context of the thing, and I mean, I'm no expert in this, my degree is in philosophy, and my education is in theology. But if you look at this, you've got um, a nation where for half the year nobody has anything to do. Because the farmers, you know, once the, the Nile flooded and they grew their crops and everything and the harvest was in, what do they do? So Egypt had a marvelous um, anti-poverty program, of course, of, of invading their neighbors and stealing all their wealth. And, you know, and they also, 
so they had a lot of money for public works project. And Egypt, despite, you know, with all respect to the book of Exodus, Egypt was not a slave-based society. Mm-hmm. These farmers apparently were put to work making these huge monuments to keep them, you know, occupied, and they, they were paid. I mean, that seems to be the latest uh, information. But, of course, the question is, well, for what? Well, I mean, obviously, it seemed to be a, a cyclical symbiotic sort of a sort of relationship between the government and the people and there didn't seem to be anything more to it than that there is some evidence that i've heard could be wrong that the the blocks for these monuments were poured in place uh now that may there's other evidence to the contrary i don't know but i mean it has been shown essentially that our our remote ancestors were rather clever had technologies that we don't really know a lot about uh, and so there, I don't know if I would attribute the pyramids to aliens. I would, however, go back, and as, as I'm sure you would be interested to do as well, to the Sumerian civilization, uh, which appeared seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, and what, what really gets me, Paul, is that these people appeared to worship one god. And th- this, this, was, this came out in the 1930s by a bunch of reluctant archaeologists and linguists. Yeah, no one seems to mention that today. I mean, I, ha- I have a philosophy class in which we talked about, um, what's his name, Xenophanes, who, came up, who supposedly came up with the idea of a monotheistic god, but that's incorrect because he was like a thousand years after the Sumerians. Well, that's it. That means even from cave paintings, there seems to be. And I'm thinking of the work of is it Stephen Langdon? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, I, think, uh, I think that's his name. Particular fellow. I, mean, I often think of the guy in uh, well, that's one the of the movies, I, few movies I have seen. The da Vinci one of it's based yeah. on him. You know how I'm talking about Paul, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he came out and said, I'm, "I'm reluctant to say it, but it looks as though the 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 there was one God before there were many." I mean, so many words he put that. And uh, all of a sudden, bingo! You've got the Sumerians uh, worshiping three, three to four thousand demigods, and you name it, and spirits, and all this. And my question is, what happened? And in in my last book, uh, Turning Home: God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, I suggest that maybe there was some influence from outside there, and and that's where the real crux came in, in human history, where the fork in the road was between sort of uh, the monotheists uh, that we would return to, I guess, mm. and uh, what became known as polytheism. Now, I don't know, maybe that's a bunch of baloney, but that seems to make sense to me. So I would almost look back that far to any influence from somewhere or someone else. And as you say, whether it was uh, aliens in the classic sense or multidimensional beings or us, time travel, who knows. Uh, what say you about all that? Well, I'm familiar with the Sumerians and and the culture and uh, the, the gods that they uh, worshipped, and also uh, some of the people who developed theories that the Sumerians were in contact with some kind of ET intelligence. And then, you know, you go back to the Tower of Babel or Babel. Um, you have Nimrod, this astrological tower uh, of some sort, and uh, it was the first loosely speaking, uh, global government, and then all the, the world uh, occult uh, Babylonian mystery religions seem to have flowed out of ancient Babylon or Babel. So let's just take Babel or, or Babylon, and uh, let's look at it as a, as a model of all this. It appears that ba- Babel or the... Uh, Tower of Babel was some kind of portal, uh, interdimensional portal, that in the in while they were worshiping in terms of astrological worship, 
It was also a gateway, a stargate, if you want to use that, those terms, to beings from another dimension. Now, I take, um, you know, I, I believe in the Bible. Now, when I say that, I, I, I have, you know, neon exclamation points because <laughs> even defining myself as an evangelical uh, Christian is something that's very torturous to me, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because I can't, I really cannot stand the definition evangelical. I mean, it, it Yeah, I, me, I hear you. I hear you. You know, it makes me want to barf, and it's like, it, there's so much baggage. But but I, it, it's loosely what I am, even though I don't identify with like ninety percent of, of of what goes on in the evangelical culture. So I'm kind of disfranchised disfranchised from it. In, in, in the same way, though, I take uh, the Bible literally, and and again, I know that raises huge red flag. So, but if you go to Genesis six, which I know you guys are very familiar with, and then you have that story of the the sons of God. Uh, which would be the fallen angels having sexual relationships with human women, uh, and then their offspring are the Nephilim. So you have this interspecies breeding between fallen angel and human women producing the Nephilim. Now, um, I can't say that that's uh, 100% what that translation means in Genesis mm. uh, chapter 6, but from all my research, I haven't found a better explanation for it. And then, of course, it's, it's repeated in Jude. So I think that, there, that the human race um, had interspecies breeding, and some people would use the term alien from uh, another planet. Uh, I would use the, the term fallen angel from another dimension. And in the process of that interspecies breeding, there was a, there was a co-mixing of DNA between uh, a fallen angel and a human woman, and that this intermingling of DNA is is, is a long-term process embedded in the development of human beings. And I think that now here we are thousands of years into the future, and there's this passage that, that Christ uh, refers to, uh, which you're aware of, and I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of, where... Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, traditionally people think, you know, wickedness and violence on planet Earth, God said, uh, sends a, a, a flood as a judgment. But I began to re-look at that story, and I look at the story of Noah, the ark, the flood, the whole thing. I look at I look at it now almost entirely through the eyes of genetics and DNA. Hmm. And I think that what that story is really all about was God uh, purifying the human race of this uh, Nephilim uh, alien or demon uh, intermingling with the human species. And somehow it corrupted the animal kingdom and creation starts afresh. So I think, to me, that's a pivotal moment in human history. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because Christ, in terms of prophecy, said that, you know, in the time uh, preceding his, his return, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And so here we are, uh, you know, 2012, and we see that in laboratories all, all across the world, uh, we are military is experimenting 
with interspecies breeding between man's DNA, animal DNA, some people say Nephilim DNA, and it's a repeat of that, that warning that Christ gave of this cosmic interspecies breeding with the goal being the goal being transhumanism or the posthuman or the Superman or the or Nietzsche's Ubermensch and the the idea of man through technology taking the next evolutionary leap. And I think that's where we are uh, as the human race. I think we're propelling ourselves through our technology into the next evolutionary jump. And I think that's what Christ was warning about. Do you feel that that's healthy, like natural? I, I mean, from an evolutionary standpoint, is that safe to be? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think it. Well, first of all, l- let me say this, and, and I know this is controversial and this bothers a lot of people, but you know, th- this is what I believe based on research. I, you know, I was raised an atheist in New York City. I wasn't raised in Alabama singing, you know, Amazing Grace by the Riverside. And uh, all my family was uh, are, are atheists to this day. So um, I don't believe in Darwinian evolution. Now, I believe in microevolution, but I don't believe in a macroevolution in the sense that one species can evolve into an entirely different species. But I do believe, for example, antibiotics can interfere uh, or accelerate the growth of more aggressive uh, bacteria or whatever. That would be, you know, microevolution. So I think that um, it's very dangerous. I think uh, the transhuman uh, transhumanist movement. I understand what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing, but they're playing God because. Here we have now the ability to clone human beings, and we don't know how far along they are in terms of the cloning process, but at some point they're, they're going to be able to, to clone an entire human, uh, human body, human being, and then download the consciousness of one human being uh, into a new body. So the question is, this cloned human being, does it have a soul? And I don't see where you can say that this cloned human being has a soul. So you have a human body, a human mind, with perhaps memories and emotions that have been downloaded from another body, but it's soulless. So it's like a Frankenstein. And to me, that's a chilling prospect. All right. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I, I must say that this particular scenario is not one that had occurred to me as far as as in the time of Noah, right? Um, but, you know, of course, with... We're not sure exactly what the nature... There's no doubt there are genetic experiments going on. There's an awful lot of weird stuff going on. Believe it. Believe it. We know. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, you know, Nephilim DNA, you know, I mean, we don't know about that. I mean, that, 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 that that's really kind of that's speculation. True. Probably never will know about it. However, the, the idea that... Um, well, I just, I'm thinking of the notion of prophecy and what it means. And the idea that, as in the time of Noah, could mean genetic experiment, well, I, that hadn't occurred to me. Said, that's possible. Anything is possible. Believe me, this is some of the weird stuff we see. Anything can happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the issue of DNA, first of all, nef- whatever, whoever or whatever was coming through in those days, um, first of all, the last, as far as I'm aware, the, the, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the last bottleneck in the history of human DNA was about 150,000 years ago, 
at the last mass extinction. All right, we almost didn't make it through that. I mean, that's that's my understanding, having read this. Also, I don't know, uh, me, having read Genesis is not the only contemporary document that recounts something like this. There is the Atrahasis of the Akkadians. There is the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita. I never remember how to pronounce that. Yeah, the, the poem of India, the longest poem right. in the world. takes you forever to read it. Anyway, uh, then also the, the um, Karsag epics of the Sumerians. I mean, th- these, these things all tell a similar story. And if you read them in the original, now I, I'm not so great with ancient Sumerian, or, but, but I can, you know, in, in Hebrew, if you read Genesis, there are a number of ways to interpret the thing. Right. And, but they all talk about, as you suggest, some sort of genetic laboratory or, or agricultural farm uh, right. that we comes down to us as Eden, and something fluky and scientific was going on. But the question arises, if there was any, any interbreeding or messing around or, or, or mating with human females, the DNA had to be very similar. Yes. You know, so, I mean, who, so, so that's why I personally suspect, as you might Maybe you agree, at least as a possibility, that you've got. Okay, we'll break in a minute. That, that we've got people, if uh, maybe uh, what do we call them, time travelers, or w- whatever term you want to use that doesn't really add up, uh, coming through, uh, and maybe it was us interacting with us, so to speak, rather than some aliens from some other planet, because the DNA was so similar. That's that's my hunch on that, and fr- from what these documents say. Now, moving moving along, uh, I don't know how recently that was. As I say, the last bottleneck was 150. Uh, as far as God uh, purifying the human, uh, I don't know. It seems to have occurred uh, perhaps by some natural disaster uh, or other. We don't know. But the, moving on to the whole notion of prophecy uh, and Jesus saying it'll be as it was in the time of Noah. Uh, now, I've read that in Greek, and it, it, it does say what, you just said, you know, as it was in the time of Noah. But why Noah? You know, why not uh, King Hezekiah? You know, and all this political trouble going on. Why, why not this? Why not that? In the time of Noah was the flood, natural disaster. I don't know. Genetics, maybe. We just don't know. The nature of prophecy is essentially speaking the word of God, not predicting the future. And and this is what gets me about the entire millennialist approach to this whole thing. In other words, the people who believe that. We're all going to get nailed, or, or at least there's going to be a, you know, the, the whole notion of the rapture and 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 the end of the world and and the, the, the tribulation and all this business. You know, that, that's a relatively new innovation. But at the moment we have, and we'll get into that. Maybe you disagree. Get into that in a minute. But we do have to take a commercial break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 12:40 a.m. and onworldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our guest, Paul McGuire. Stay with us. everyone. My name is Bill Bruno and I would like you to join me and my friends every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 because the oldies are back on WOON. The Memory Lane Show every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4. Tell your friends that the oldies are back on WOON. Okay, and we are back, and we've been getting to the notion a little bit of uh, cosmic warfare here and, and the, no- the idea of prophecy with our guest, Paul McGuire. Uh, welcome back to the show. And we are, um, I, I just, you know, I, I just have a lot of problems with the way they approach this thing. The, the idea that, that Jesus 
was talking about things thousands of years in the future, or the, or that the 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 prophets of Israel were talking about things thousands of years in the future, is really questionable. Because look at the eschatology, as they say, Paul, the, the, the idea of the end times that's in the New Testament. Everybody expected Jesus to come back right away. Right. All right. Uh, it even says that in the book of Revelation. The, the, the Greek used uh, is, you know, to, 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 it was speedily, briefly, th- th- this is going to happen. You know, in other right. words, and um, most people believe, not most, but a lot of people believe the whole thing was fulfilled during the Roman destruction of Israel and all this business in 70 AD and that was within the lifetimes of those, and Jesus said, I believe it was in Mark, people are going to be, people standing here uh, will not have died before this happens. That's right. So, uh, and then as as time went by and he didn't come back, at least not the way people expected him to, it became more spiritualized and then finally by the 19th century you had this guy with a millennialist uh, interpretation came in and now you have all this stuff about you know uh, I'm going to be saved but you're going to get yours I mean I don't like that approach to religion myself so I mean you, you see what I'm getting at here so, this, the idea of prophecy having to do with our times rather than their times mm-hmm. would not meet the definition of prophecy uh, well, where am I wrong? I, I, I have a different pers- perspective um, um, but I, I understand what you're saying because um, even in the so-called evangelical community, there's a huge debate regarding what you just said, and there are many people, and one term for it would be preterism, but there's, but there's other terms, which which basically says that these prophecies already happened. So, like you said, in AD 70, uh, the Roman general Titus invaded uh, Jerusalem and, and destroyed it, and a lot of people believe that the, the prophecies that Christ talked about were fulfilled but um you know i i have a viewpoint and it's in my my books and if people want information my website's uh paul mcguire.org mm-hmm. i have i have actually 22 books you've written 22 oh yeah, you make me sick i'm only written yeah, I seven made myself, <laughs> i made myself sick writing them yeah <laughs> well good for you good for you uh, the books uh, not the sickness <laughs> um but the thing is i don't you know, I have a particular eschatology in terms of, of the timetable of the rapture, but I don't like to get hung up on, let's say, the rapture, uh, post-trib, mid-trib, or is there a rapture or just the second coming? Because, you know, there are a lot of people who have got excellent arguments, but for, me, for, for my purposes, these are important questions, but it, but it's, uh, to me, a, a diversion to, to, a, to a more important question. I hear you. Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that the prophecies in the Old Testament, whether it's Zechariah, Isaiah, or whoever, Joel, uh, or Christ, or Paul, or whatever, uh, that these prophecies. Now, the one you quoted in, in Mark, I mean, that particular passage uh, and chapter is actually the, divided in, into two halves. One half would refer to the past, I believe. Uh, very clearly, and the second half refers, I, I believe, to to the future. So, anyway, having having said that, um, I believe that the majority of the prophecies point to a future time. But the reason that's important is because what proves the supernatural authorship of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the fact that prophecies are predicted supernaturally, and they come. Uh, they come to pass with amazing accuracy. That's what separates 
the Bible, for example, from the Koran or whatever. So, you, you, you know, you go to Isaiah, and there's specific prophecies of the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ and all that stuff. So, so the Bible has all these prophecies of, of the end of time that I believe are incredibly unique. And I'll just give you a couple of bullet points. Uh, number one, we are approaching the time, if we're not already here, of a one-world global government. Soros talks about it all the time. Oh, Paul, can I interrupt you? For a yeah. I, we have a caller. I didn't realize it. Yeah, this, okay. we'll, we'll get right back to what you're, what you're saying in a minute. Sure. Hello, you're on Behind the Paranormal. Hello? Oh, dear. I'm sorry about that. Well, I, I let, will encourage whoever called to call back. We'll, we'll take your call right away. Anyway. I, yeah, no. Okay, so so um, the, the the key issue here, whether we're talking about, well, let's go back to the Tower of Babel for one second. Okay. Oh, we do have our caller back. Okay. I, I, I'm I'm de- I'm not deliberately trying to confuse you, please. That's all right. Okay. Uh, hello, you run behind the paranormal. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is Bob from Cumberland, just down the road from you. Sure. I want uh, to ask Paul. Question for Paul. I want to ask Paul his take on something that seems to be. Um, Ignored is uh, very possible. The possibility of Nibiru coming into our side of the, uh, our end of the uh, solar system. Well, the Zachariah Sitchin theory, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's your take on that, Paul? My take on it is that some people think that um, Nibiru uh, may have referred to an, another planet. Um, however, there appears to be some planet that's out there, some large sphere that's out there. But people that I know that are physicists uh, say it's there and that it's going to interact with the with the Earth by how many millions of miles, I don't know. But if it comes close to the Earth at all, and we're talking about who knows how many uh, millions of miles away, it will affect our tidal waves, our, our you know, entire environmental structure so i polar, think pole reversal a real perhaps what pole reversal yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so i think it's a real thing i don't think it's a manufactured thing i no. think there's something out there um i can't remember whether it was neptune or jupiter that they used to think nebru was but mm-hmm. it, it appears to be out there so yeah, i don't think it's something far some video, think, uh, youtube videos of people especially in the southern hemisphere have taken pictures of the sun and you can see another distinct sphere behind it, like through the corona of the sun. Yeah. They say that this, with this planet, if it does hit us, it'll come at us from beneath, like from the on, from beneath the sun. And in fact, I've seen uh, some suspicious things down at Newmeyer Station down in Antarctica, where it shows that uh, you can see this actual huge circular body in the air. I mean, mm-hmm. in space. I mean, it's that close to us. Well, th- th- that's very controversial. And having learned photography at your expense in the military years ago, <laughs> there are all sorts of explanations for that. How, I, 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 I'm familiar with the Nibiru theory. I respect it. I just I don't personally believe it. But uh, you know, I, who knows? Anything's possible. Well, when you think of it, going back as far as the Sumerians and every every generation, even in the Bible mentions that they call it wormwood in the Bible. Bible other cultures have called it uh, the destroyer. Yeah, there are all sorts of astronomical things going on throughout history. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the magnetic North Pole is moving about 40 miles a year already. Uh, yeah, tw- and all, the, 
all it, the solar activity that we've experienced, I believe it's being influenced by Nibiru. Yeah, well, no, it always is. I mean, it's not a static system. I mean, things are always changing. There's always influence. But, yeah, you may be right. I mean, who knows? And, there, yeah. and Zachariah Sitchin, you know, he talked quite about, the, you know. Yeah, a uh, great he, author who recently recently passed away, yeah. Right. He, he's been writing about this for years. So. Yeah. But I agree with you. It's, I mean, it's something that's interesting. I don't discount it, but I've, you know. Well, look into it further. I think there's a lot more to it. No, there's well, always a lot more to it. Okay, so does that answer your question, or? Yes, it does. Thank you, okay. Thank you for thank you for calling in. Okay, Paul, you were you were talking about prophecy. Please, please uh, go okay, right ahead. So, yeah. So, so here we have Bible prophecy. So we go. Let's go back just to the Tower of Babel, which is the first one world government. I mean, that's essentially what it was, and it was a one world government based on some kind of occult religious system. So the, the question has to be asked: Why is it in the in the uh, Old Testament? Now, I believe God authored the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So I think that well, what do you God, mean by authored? Well, if I may okay. interrupt. Okay, well that's a valid question. Um, I believe that He moved through His Spirit upon human individuals to write the stuff. But we don't even know what the original words were. They were copied, 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 and copied by, by scribes, some of whom were semi-illiterate themselves. We have no idea. I've seen the Codex Alexandrinus, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's got a note in the corner saying, you know, how come you changed the original? And if you pull your hair out today, say, what was the original? I, I know that, that, that that's uh, putting a fly in the ointment maybe in your 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 explanation, but I, I just I just wanted to point that out. I mean, you know, yeah, well, what, I, one would trust that the Holy Spirit would preserve the 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 meaning and and the spirit of it but i mean practically speaking we don't know what the original words even were even of the new testament so i just wanted to point that out but please don't let me interrupt yeah i know i mean i mean i mean there's validity in what you're saying so but but for the sake i just i just want to talk about this because that's the whole you know debate in and of itself so even if the language is skewed whatever percentage, okay? There's still this global government called Babel or Babel in the Old Testament. I believe God put it in there, and I defined what I meant by that, um, as a warning to mankind against global government because the whole dialogue that goes on back there is, well, what's the problem with it? And the problem with it was that in the hearts of men, they wanted to be like God. It was a it was a uh, Babel was a rebellion against God. So, so now we have the warnings of uh, in the New Testament of uh, Paul and Christ uh, and John, and and then it gets real specific in the Book of Revelation, especially Revelation thirteen. We read two very interesting things in Revelation thirteen: a coming world charismatic ruler which would be the Antichrist or the first beast. And then we read about the second beast, which would be the false prophet. Uh, and the false prophet is not only the head of a coming one-world religious system, but the head of a coming one-world economic system. So in Revelation, we read about a coming one-world religious system, a coming one-world economic system, and a coming one-world government. I believe that that, those three things are literally probably going to be fulfilled within our lifetime, a global government, a global currency, and some kind of global religion. Well, and what, I just, 
Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, with the exception of a global religion, one one might say, I mean, there seems to be nothing but anti-religion today. Uh, it, it, our, in our, our hometown of Woonsocket here, we have there's a huge controversy going on now between the atheists and people who don't want to, you know, people who want to keep a, memor- a war memorial with a cross on it. You'll be hearing a lot about that in the national news. Mm-hmm. But the, the uh, other than that, one might ask, playing devil's advocate, maybe literally playing devil's advocate, <laughs> what, uh, okay. what's wrong with a global government and a global currency so in, in a time when we have instant communication or we're all kind of one big happy planet or maybe could be, you know, I mean, what, what one might ask is wrong with that? Well, that's, that's, that's a, a, an excellent question, and, and it, it's a big philosophical question. What's, what's wrong with it? And I, w- I would simply say, I mean, if you take the romanticized global government of like, uh, the Star Trek series and, and, uh, Gene Roddenberry and stuff, well, it, in that sense, it, it, it appears to be a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, mankind united in the global government to, to solve the problem. But you see, I believe that, I'm using Star Trek just as, because it's a popular yeah, show. Sure. The Star Trek model of a global government, to me, is a romanticized model. What, what, to me, what global government, at its very least, will be a global bureaucracy. Uh, again, it's at its very least moving at the pace and intelligence of the U.S. Post Office. <laughs> so. If that's what global government's going to be, I think it's going to be a nightmare for the human race. So you'd feel like it'd be more like a 1984 style government rather than a utopian society. Yeah, yeah because because I mean Aldous Huxley, 1984, and uh, uh, there's so many other books, Gravity's Rainbow, and and others, all point to a nightmare, a nightmare utopia, and. That appears to be the direction that we're going. Go, going, and I mean, uh, look at what we're doing with technology. I mean, technology is being turned against the common man in terms of putting each one of us under a microscope. And That's what comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see what you're saying. With with great power comes quite great the, responsibility, so to speak. Like right. The Spider-Man, Spider-Man quote, but, but yes. it happens. But it's a, but it's a brilliant quote. Spider-Man <laughs> said that. No, no, that his uncle but, did. Actually, his uncle did. Oh, good yeah. heavens! Well. Yes, More right. power to his uncle. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no, I, mean, I see what Ben's saying. I mean, can you just imagine if someone like Hitler got mm-hmm. hold of, of, of the, the tracking technology and the surveillance technology that we have today with That's cameras right. everywhere, iPhones, and, and people right. are, are doing this and they're thrilled to death about it. So I see, I certainly see the point on that, but I've never quite gotten the, 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 the political things here, but we only have a few minutes left and I wanted to get into something that, uh, to get back to this cosmic warfare idea. Okay. Like where, is all this stuff going? And I'm talking about the whole ET experience. Uh, okay, the, the, something really quick. Yeah, sure. So I guess this sort of has to do with the the subject. I, I had a thought, like ha, like at the beginning of the hour, um, in west in Western culture and Western religions and things, we have this fight between good and evil, uh, which arise out of Zoroastrianism and things like that. But in the East, you have um, a bal- a balance in harmony and right. things like that. Why the huge difference? We're talking about the Eastern Christian tradition. Well, Eastern Christian tradition, well, yes, Eastern y- philosophy. Yeah, right, yin, right, yeah. Yin-yang, duality, uh, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, stuff like that, wh- right. whereas it's more um, conflicted in our culture, so to speak. Well, 
there's certainly truth in some of the, the wisdom of uh, the Eastern cultures with the duality and yin-yang, and you can even see it in electricity, positive and negative electricity, uh, and things like that. However, uh, the this was very difficult for me because I experienced cosmic consciousness. I saw the great white light. I left my body. Uh, you know, I was a radical activist when I was 15 years old, and I was deeply involved in Hinduism and Buddhism and all of this. And one of the number one things that bugged me more than anything, the only thing that bugged me more than biblical Christianity and evangelical Christianity uh, was this idea of a personal devil. To me, that just drove me out of my mind. Um, however, uh, I, I subscribe to the biblical idea that there, that there is a great conflict uh, between good and, good and evil, and it's not just the duality of yin and yang. I believe there's actual good fighting versus evil uh, in our universe, in our world today, because I accept the biblical model of a God, personal living God of the universe, and a Lucifer, which was the most powerful angel who is in the process of leading a revolution against God in our lifetime and for, for thousands of years. And that's where Bible prophecy ultimately, uh, ultimately uh, culminates. So I think we're in the middle of a violent spiritual revolution of which a lot of the stuff that we've talked about uh, is connected to. We have a being called Lucifer who is incredibly powerful and incredibly brilliant. I believe, for example, that fallen angels or demons utilize technology and that's a hard thing for most Christians to, to grasp. But I think, de- like, like the uh, what was the, the the alien movies with Signori uh, Weaver? You know how those ah, yes. mm. those space travelers had those almost demonic uh, uh, spaceships. So I believe in this uh, archetypical conflict between good versus evil or God versus Satan. I Interesting, yeah. See, this, this is the meat and potatoes. This is kind of the thing we, we were, we, now that we're almost done. <laughs> the show, we're, yeah, now, now yeah. we're just getting into but, it. But however, um, now, uh, see, uh, we, I think, have a little, I don't know, I, I like to think, you know, this the same view but a different view. Uh, there are many traditions, as I said in the beginning, you know, uh, along with the Bible that tell pretty much the same story. The whole idea of cosmic warfare or, or us being one of the combatants or in the middle of the combatants right. in some sort of cosmic struggle right. is uh, a theme throughout the history of human spirituality is not just in the Bible. The Bible That's expresses right. it a certain, very clearly, uh, right. but it's it's not the only uh, medium by which that's expressed. So it does seem to be certainly a theme. In working in this field, as I say, with mostly quote-unquote ghosts, I found myself running into uh, beginning, you know, my first case, especially 1974, my first major poltergeist case, <laughs> running into what I can only describe as alien entities whom we characterized and we approached them as though they were d- demons in the biblical sense. I found them, however, in contact with them over a number of years, uh, n- sort of t- not to be any recognizable life form, not to, not to necessarily share our theology. They mm-hmm. responded to the name of Jesus, but they also w- were terrified by the name of Isis. And but whatever tradition the people happen to be in, in, in the, it, it seems to be a lot broader than what any one tradition will 
will will describe it as. So, and these things seem to be no friends of ours. They seem to feed upon us, mm-hmm. and uh, we seem to be their prey. I mean, for lack of a better term. And and then as we started getting into UFO cases, there seemed to be an awful lot of parallels between some of these aliens and some of these parasites. What's, I said, really, what's really interesting is uh, when we met Bud Hopkins and he showed us like photos of different people who were yeah, victims of abductions. Over, and yeah. the thing we noticed was the wounds that they received are similar to ones that we've seen in poltergeist cases. Yeah, and he <laughs> couldn't get and, and he unfortunately he took ill and finally passed away. But we were going to arrest him. Going to work um, kind of along this on, on those lines and see if we can come up with some some commonalities there. So, again, the context of these things. So, you see, we're, we see it as uh, we don't disagree with you, but but we we don't maybe on some of the specifics we just don't know. But we see it as a much broader theme that something is going on here rather than just one personified well, evil. Yeah, let, that, that let, isn't good. You know. Yeah, let me just say one thing though. I, I you know from my perspective as somebody who into Bible prophecy and stuff like that. I, I I wouldn't necessarily shut out, you know, in my mind or intellect, shut out what you're talking about because um, I believe that time travel may be a reality, uh, for example. I, I believe that there are beings in different dimensions so uh, that that come from different dimensions. It's you know, et cetera, They et seem to be able to manipulate those boundaries, yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, I believe in demons and uh, devils and stuff like that, but I think that, that the universe is very big and very complex mm. and multidimensional. I mean, I don't know, 13 dimensions or who, know how, who knows. Well, how that's just string theory. They're trying to, exactly, right. Yeah. So the, the thing is, though, you, you, you may be right. There may, they may, there may, may be all kinds of entities that uh, are in our reality uh, that wouldn't necessarily fit into the category of demons or angels, but we don't have an explanation necessarily or a definition for them. Well, but, I think they're responsible for our concept of demons. And I, I just don't... And believe me, I was, I was in the seminary when this happened. Mm-hmm. I, I was at exorcisms. I participated in all the stuff that right. one would expect. I just didn't find that these things were... Uh, you know, uh, uh, see, we, we define things in our theology or in, in whatever term you want to use according to the way we can understand them and according right. to the way that fits with our experience of God and of and of life. They they fit, but they didn't fit. They, I don't think they cared one whit about God or the devil or or whatever. I mean, they seem to have a culture of their own. There, there are a number mm-hmm. of different species, but they certainly fill the bill. Right. Uh, for what is talked about in the Bible, but I, I just I can't imagine that they just didn't seem even. Well, let, let me. It's let me hard to describe in words what they're like. Let me fill this out to you, just to, kind of as a question, a speculative question. Um, you know, uh, John C. Lilly. They they did a movie on him called The Day of the Dolphin with uh, I forgot who the, that great actor was, and he was the scientist you know who was telling us that dolphins were intelligent. But this was also the scientist who developed the sensory uh, deprivation deep tank, and they mm. made a fictional movie about it called Altered States of Consciousness. And what John C. Lilly did is he submerged his body in a tank, uh, which was body temperature water in a dark room, and all his senses were deprived of input as he laid in a deep tank. 
And then he took massive doses of the psychedelic drug ketamine. Now, this is a high-level scientist. He would leave his body, and he would communicate with, he wouldn't call them spirit guides. They were some kind of beings, and they were communicating to him very uh, intelligent information. Uh, and, and when I hear you describe what you described, you know, John C. Lilly's experiments, which I imitated uh, uh, on a lower budget myself, leaving my body, and communicating to, to, to spirit guides, for lack of a better word. I'm wondering if those are the kind of beings that you're talking about. Well, I don't know. All I know, I, I hate to say it, but we're flat out of time. <laughs> okay. I think we're going to have to continue this in another show, Paul. It's, it's really been fascinating, and thank you so much. And thank again, you, uh, give everybody your website uh, again, please. Yeah, if they go to paulmcguire.org, and uh, I have a lot of books like Are You Ready and stuff like that, and we have a lot of free information. Interesting stuff. Many different stuff. Paul, thank you. It's been really thank great. You. I'll yeah, be in touch okay. off the air. We'll, we'll do it again. Okay. Thank, thank you. you okay. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Okay, folks. Paul McGuire. Check it out. Anyway, we will be in Montpelier, Vermont this coming Saturday. Ben and I will be speaking at the Kellogg Hubbard Library, the main library of the city or the town, it's not much of a city, it's a lovely little place, at, um, at 10.30 to 12.30, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Uh, on Saturday, May 5th, check us out there, uh, information at BehindTheParanormal.com, which uh, also the place you can buy books, you can subscribe to our newsletter, you can apply to become a show reporter, and you can catch over 400 free, nearly 400 free podcasts of our show. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself, who's been working the board, doing a thank fine you, job. Thank you. And we will see you next Monday, May 7th, here on WON 1240 AM, when Ben and I will host a, an open line to catch up on those pesky emails that keep piling up on all things paranormal. Those rotten emails. No, just, we, we, we enjoy reading your emails on the air. I actually really enjoy doing those shows. So on our regular CBS edition on Sunday, May 6th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we'll be running a rebroadcast because my dad and I will be on the road in northern New England. And we leave you this evening with a quote from that wise old soul and 19th century English novelist Charles Dickens. Have a heart that never hardens, a temper that never tires, a touch that never hurts. All right, so thanks for sailing with us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.